They want us not to suffer a whole pile of psychological damage and emotional and financial damage throughout this problem. Because if we don't, we'll be sooner getting back out and spending again. And that's really important for this recovery. Welcome to Girls With Gold. My name is Neve Mar Wright. We're doing it. It is the financial episode. I haven't been putting it off, but to be honest with you, a few people have been asking for it. And I know that there's a huge amount of financial anxiety at the moment. Everybody is dealing with what's happening with the COVID-19 crisis differently. Uh, people's personal finances are being affected because of this, of course. So I wanted to concentrate an entire episode on it. Later on in the show, we're going to be joined by Susan Hayes. She is also known as the Positive economist. We actually had her on the show probably over two years ago now. And I have to say, she's an absolute joy. She she really was. When we had her on the show before, um, it was incredible to have her in studio. And this time, of course, we're doing all of our interviews via Skype. So she joins us later on to talk about the economy, to talk a little bit about recovery, what we can expect from the coming months. Um, but first up, I'm joined by Owen McGee. He is a financial planner. He's also the author of How to Be Good with Money. I chatted to him earlier on today. So take a listen. So I'm joined now by Owen McGee, financial planner and author of How to Be Good with Money. Owen, we're going to talk about uh, the book a little bit later on. Um, I suppose, are you absolutely mad busy at the moment? Is everybody calling you off because they're freaking out about their finances? Just tell us the truth. Yeah, no, they are. Like, and that's good because you know what? We're crap here in yeah. Ireland and even in the UK at talking about money. Like if we were on the other side of the pond, we'd all talk about how things go really well and things go really badly. We're happy to sit around dinner tables or over a beer or whatever it is and talk about our successes and our failures of our finances. In Ireland, in Europe, in the UK, we're very, very poor at it. So Things like what's going on at the moment with COVID and with people being stuck in their houses with nothing else to think about but the things that concern them does mean that people are quicker to come and chat to people like me. And why, why are we so bad at, at talking about our, our money in general? Is that just a character flaw in the Irish or is there it's just a steep back from history or what's is there any kind of identifying mark? I think it's just good Irish guilt. We used to put a different word on that, but I think it's just good Irish guilt. If we're doing well, we feel guilty. And if we're doing badly, we feel guilty. And therefore, we don't want anyone to share our shame. And we, But not only that, there's also an element of just the way society reacts. When somebody's doing really, really well, Asher, he or she must have done something wrong to get to the top or this type of an element of begrudgery and this type of an element of let's pull them back down again and if someone does really really badly it's kind of I always always know he was a fool or a gobshite if I'm allowed to say that yeah and it's kind of just it's an element now we did get a little bit better about that when we had the last crisis like this in 2008 2009 10 11 it was okay to be broke you didn't have to pretend you weren't broke do you know why because exactly like it is right now we're all in it together. We all feel that this is hitting us all at the same time. We all feel that it's a community thing. There is a sense of community around it that none of us can do anything about it. You know what else? None of this is our fault. Like we cannot be blamed for a medical crisis. And therefore we kind of feel it's okay to talk about how crap it is right now and how difficult it is to manage your money and talk about and be open about money. And not only that, everybody, including government, are trying to support us to get us through this as unscathed as we possibly can. 
And there's very good reason for government wanting to do that. They want us not to suffer a whole pile of psychological damage and emotional and financial damage throughout this problem. Because if we don't, we'll be sooner getting back out and spending again. And that's really important for this recovery. Definitely. I mean, the thing is, you know, you, you, men- you mentioned the last recession there. And what I think is so interesting about this is that, you know, there came a time in 2008, 2009, when we all started to play the blame game, because obviously that was not at the time, you know, we could blame the bankers and we could blame the global recession and we could blame, you know, these men in suits that were coming in and, and you know, saving us, but event, but actually in the interim, making our lives very difficult. Now, obviously, you know, we can't blame because this is a health crisis and it is something that is out of people's control. But it, what I think is so interesting about the financial aspect of it is that it is actually making us look at our own finances more. And so I think that there's a little bit of blame going on about the fact that nobody could have predicted a global pandemic, but how prepared are we all individually for when things are, are going to happen? Because, oh, and I swear to God, I'm hearing things that we should liquidate our assets. We should tape gold bars to the back of toilet tanks. I mean, <laughs> like... Nobody is in a position that they ever would have imagined, but we're here, we're facing it now, and people are really looking at their own personal finances differently, and I suppose we can't blame them, right? Absolutely. And you know what? This isn't our fault. And you know what? This will, this recovery will be different to the last 2008. I don't think it's going to be as long. And therefore, we we also have serious government support. Like, just think about the government support for a second. Think about why are they paying people's wages for the first time ever? Like, they are paying private sector workers' wages. And think about why that is. 2008, as a financial crisis, was a massive one. Like, it was a huge financial... In fact, go back... You have to go back to the 1930s to get a comparable one, to get one that was on the same level. Now... That doesn't mean that we didn't have a financial crisis between 1930s and 2008. We actually have one of these every three to five years on average. And we don't know what the cause of it's going to be. We don't expect it to be always be as bad as it, got, as it is right now or as it was 2008. But the reality is, is that we do on average have what we call a stock. Some people would call a stock market crash or what I would call a temporary decline. Basically, the economy goes into reverse for a little while every three to five years. Now, the difference and the reason why I think this this recovery is going to be better and why we don't need to tape gold to the back of the toilet cistern (laughs) because in 2008, it was about banks not trusting banks. The financial whole eco-structure of financial companies, they didn't trust each other. And that trust, for the recovery to happen, that trust had to be rebuilt. Now, the difference today is, is we might have a crash as bad as we've had in 2008, but in 2000, now at the, at the moment, the difference is, is we will have a medical solution to this medical crisis. And when we do, big business will sort itself out. But government are paying people their wages because what they want is, is they want us to all come out of this in a healthy financial position, still confident in our ability to earn so that we'll spend money again. Because biz, big business will sort itself out quickly. Micro business or the individual needs to get out spending in order to spur, spur on the economy. If we all sat at home and didn't have a job and lost our purpose and our meaning in life from a work perspective, we are going to be damaged when we come out of this, more damaged when we come out of this, and we'd be less, it would take us a longer time to actually start to spend money again. And the economy absolutely needs that when this is all over. I suppose, I mean, I want to ask a little bit about the kind of day-to-day struggles that people are facing at the moment. And it's to do with, you know, 
potentially small loans or small debts that we all had, you know, before we went into this. So people are talking obviously about the top line issues such as wages and the amount of people that are, you know, um, claiming social welfare at the moment. But, you know, I would say the majority of people and I'm looking at kind of myself and my friends and our audience who are listening today, uh, the majority of us would have, say, a grand loan here for a holiday that we took a few years back or, you know, a car loan and and these things. So regardless about not being paid wages, which a lot of people or their full wages, which a lot of people in this country are now faced with, what about these um, small debts and loans that people are struggling with paying back at the moment. I mean, you don't see a lot about that because it's not necessarily the the big news, of course, because there is a global health crisis going on. But, you know, people are struggling and, and facing these kind of credit issues on a day-to-day basis now. Yeah. And the, the reality is, is that the, the, in the book, I talk about this whole section dedicated to happy debt and crappy debt. Mm. Now, happy debt is like mortgages. It's money that's cheap and then you buy stuff that goes up in value over long periods of time. Crappy debt is the stuff that you're talking about. And crappy debt is all about car loans, personal loans, credit cards, the holiday you went on last year and you're still paying back the loan on. That's crappy debt. And it's generally very expensive and used for things that go down in value or that you consume straight away like a holiday. Um, and the reality is, is that our crappy debt repayments in a household, and it's not unusual, and anyone who has watched the TV show that I present, How to Be Good With Money, we always have a couple of couples or individuals who their crappy debt repayment can be just as much as what their mortgage repayment is. The reality is, is governments have tackled right now the, the happy debt, the, mm. the big mortgage, and they've gone in and they've made agreements with the banks that if you want to get a break from your mortgage for three months, make a phone call. Most people are describing that phone call as lasting less than five minutes. And this gives the credit to the banks here. The banks have jumped in and said, yeah, you know what we'll do? We'll give you a break for three months. Just ring it up. We're not going to do the usual stuff that we ask you to do. So usually they'd ask you, um, what did you buy for breakfast yesterday morning? How much did it cost? And how? what's your monthly budget for socks and they want to know the minutiae detail before they'll tell you yeah we'll give you three months off your mortgage or six months that's all out the window at the moment they're saying ring us up most people are describing a five minute conversation and they've got a three month break in their mortgage so the credit where it's due they're allowing people to do it fairly simply Mm. where the credit isn't due is they're still charging people interest for that that's what i was was gonna ask that i mean that sounds delightful but what happens three months down the line when you actually have to pay more and say the business that you're working for hasn't bounced back and is still not willing to pay your full wage but the reality is is that in three months time if you're ready to go back onto the mortgage what will happen is is the interest that you didn't pay in the last three months will be added to the amount of money that you owe and you will pay a slightly more repayment over the next over the remaining term of the mortgage so okay. you're going to you're going to pay for it over the next whatever 20 years or whatever's left on your mortgage. Right. And that's what I would say to you is is that if you're in a position where you don't need to take a mortgage break that you can survive it, don't do it. For two reasons. One, it's going to cost you, but second reason is because if you don't really need it and you take it, the more of these requests the bank gets, the banks get, the more scared they become and the less likely they are to leave the floodgates open and allow everyone to take one. And therefore, you could be robbing from someone who actually needs it. Now, if you do need it, don't let what I've just said put you off going looking for one. Yeah. Don't worry about the extra cost. You need it. Just take it and worry about it later. But the reality is, is that when the banks moved and made that move, a lot of the other, practically all, I've only come across one case where a car loan or credit card company have said, no, we won't do the same thing as what the banks are doing. 
and they they will give you the three months off. They'll still charge you the interest. They will give you the three months off with very little hassle. They'll put it through. And government have put into legislation for the mortgages. They put into legislation that um, or into the guidelines, the rules that they're producing at the moment to say that this won't affect your credit in the future. That okay. it, taking a three month from your now, what I would say there is is that the reality is is that there's this is such a big event. If you always paid your loans up to COVID had a problem during COVID and then didn't pay and then went back to being perfect again after COVID. In three years time, if you're going for a mortgage or a car loan, I don't think it's going to be held against you regardless. I think you would hope that there's a bit of common sense there. Now, what I really like about what the banks did was that they allowed it, made it very easy. But the reality is, is that 10, 12 years ago, Irish people, society bailed out the banks. This was the chance for the banks to bail out society and they didn't take it. They, they made it easier, but ultimately the banks benefit financially from this in the long run. They're going to charge you interest on interest. Now, it's not enough for you to be scared if you really need this. Don't, don't take that as, oh, I can't do that. But please take it that if you don't need to do it, don't do it. It's so, it's so interesting because I've never, I've never thought about it in that way, that this was an opportunity. And, you know, speaking obviously over the last, you know, few weeks, just speaking to friends of mine and colleagues who, you know, made that snap decision to say, take a, a mortgage freeze, you know, for three months, even before a huge amount of the pay cuts and things that happened had happened. And for me, my initial instinct was to don't do that because, you know, you're going to have to pay that back eventually. And that, I suppose that comes from just an ingrained distrust for the fact that feels good now, but ultimately it's going to actually cost me. And I suppose maybe is this an opportunity for people to look at those crappy, what did you call them again? Happy crappy debt. Crappy debt. debt. Crappy debt. Yeah. So maybe to look at crappy debt and once this is all over, because this is a positive episode of the show and it is all going to be over. But once this is all over, you know, maybe reconsider what it is that we're spending our money on in general. Yes. And and actually, I, 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 I'm going to come back to that point about spending our money in general. But just before we finish off on the mortgage piece, one of the things you used the phrase there, two very big party leaders came out a day or two before the bank said, this is what we're doing and give it a three month break. And they used that word mortgage freeze. Yeah. Now, for general, in general, people might not notice that slight shift in word mortgage freeze. To me, that was two party leaders, very senior big parties. I'm not giving them a plug, right? But two party leaders were putting pressure on the banks there to freeze it as if there was no interest. They didn't get what they wanted, right? Yeah. And the bank still charged interest, but it went into people's head as if, oh, my mortgage is frozen for three months. Straight no, up deception. That was deception. Yeah. Now, I think it was the politicians, in a way, trying to put pressure on the banks, but in a way that if the pressure didn't succeed, they just, oh, it was just a phrase I used. Yeah. Like, if if they had a frozen their interest on it, those two politicians, one male, one female, would have been out very quickly afterwards saying, you see, we got the freeze you were looking for. But they, the word disappeared from them very quickly when the interest was being charged. But from people like yourself and myself, well, I'm a bit more conscious of it, but generally in the media, people are still using that word mortgage freeze. And I think it's very deceptive. People think yeah. it's something different. But sorry, that I jumped backwards. Let me jump forwards again. You were talking about the what general we, spend, yeah. The general spend. Like, think about this for a moment, right? We've been stuck in our houses for at least two weeks. Maybe we're definitely in for another three weeks. Who knows what happens after that? Now, I don't want to scare people, but I have a brother living in Sydney. I managed to get to Sydney in February, and it was the first time it was out there, and I just got back in the nick of time mm. before all this stuff kicked off. And I remember people laughing at me in the middle of February and um, walking through the airport with a mask on me, and I was considered 
ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. And but in Sydney, they've been told they are. Um, I'm actually going to rob a phrase. So David McWilliams described it as it's not a lockdown, it's a lock in. And I think yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. It's much more positive connotations to a lock-in than Absolutely. there is a lock-in. Everybody's dying for a lock-in, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that's David Mike Williams. I robbed that one on him. But um, my brother in Sydney, and they've all been told in Australia, the lock-in is going to go on until the 29th of June. Wow. Now, we're kicking on at three weeks, another three weeks. But one of the things that you can learn a lot from while you're stuck in the house is look at the stuff you spend money on. Look at the stuff that is actually of importance to you. What are you buying? There's restrictive buying now, but what are you actually buying? And you know what you're doing for the very, probably for a lot of people, very first time, you're very conscious about how you're spending money. And what I mean by that is, is that most of the time we have this battle going on with marketing departments across the world. A marketing department's job, their their department's job is to get you to take money out of your pocket and give it to them. Mm. And most of our life, we go through and subconsciously spend on stuff that we don't actually know that we wanted to spend on. So if you go to it in ordinary times, you go to a supermarket at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, there'd be slow music being played. You, the, the, there was a famous, um, I wouldn't say who it is, it was Fergal Quinn used to pump the smell of the bakery. I remember that. Oh, into the car park. It smells so good. Yeah, and that was absolutely on purpose. It was yeah. pumped into the car park because when you went in, you associated bread with it. It does oh, lots yeah. of profit on bread and you bought the bread. The slow me- When you win on a Thursday evening at eight o'clock, there's fast music, speed you through, get you through as quickly as possible. So there's marketing departments working on your subconscious and your conscious all the time. And that's why we often spend money subconsciously Right now, we have to spend consciously because it's, a, it's actually a task to go and spend consciously. And if people could actually start to identify the stuff that they're buying, but identify that process of, I'm really thinking about what I need. I can't go to my usual outlets to get it. And therefore, I'm looking for ways to buy things. And then I go and I say, oh, I'll go to that website. That website's not delivering at the moment. Or you're unsure as to whether it's not. And all of a sudden, it's one of the rules I talk about in the book, How to Be Good With Money. I talk about the 72-hour rule. And the 72-hour rule is if you really want to buy something, whether it's online or we're back to normal and it's in a shop, put it back. And 72 hours later, mm. go and buy it then. Now, if you've forgotten about it in the 72 hours, you never needed it or actually wanted it in the first place. It was the marketing department winning. Yeah. But if you go back after 72 hours and you still want it, it's probably something you wanted as opposed to the marketing department subconsciously was suggesting you buy and you were falling for that. So we need to be very, and this is not about penny pinching. Sometimes people talk about, oh, financial planner just wants you to, doesn't enjoy life and doesn't. This is actually the opposite. Good financial planning and good management of your day-to-day spending means that you spend the money on the things you want to spend it on, not what some marketing department wants you to spend it on. See, this is it. And I mean, it's so funny because I I feel like at the moment as well, there's a huge amount of us who are sitting here. We're obviously all inside and there's a certain amount of us that is being preyed on. So there's this whole like, I don't think I've coined this, but I've just abbreviated it because I feel like I've said it in every single episode for the last few weeks. So just PFP. So the pressure for productivity that we're being placed 
that is being placed upon us at the moment, right? So this is like, if you're not doing enough, make sure that you upskill by you know, an online course, those things cost money. All of the influencers and, and health bloggers out there are now doing online um, classes that you have to pay for. Of course, if you're feeling a little bit down, because obviously this has a huge emotional drain on us, you know, buy something for yourself online. It feels as if they're getting us in another way, if that makes sense. So that I'm talking about the marketers, you know what I mean? Like it feels like they're they're almost playing on our, um, the, the emotional fact that we can't go out and get to the shops and there's no footfall, but they're still getting to us in a, in a different way. But I suppose we have to be wary of these emotional triggers and again just kind of remember I mean that 72 hour thing I've 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 never thought about that before but I'm definitely going to be doing it from now on and it makes a massive difference and do that with everything you buy like Mm. give it 70 you see 72 hours is just enough time that all of the subconscious thinking all of the marketing abilities that are being fired at you they start to let the brain think for itself after a 72-hour period. And that's where the 72-hour rule comes from. It works incredibly well. And actually, if people have kids, it's great for doing it with kids. Yeah. Because 72 hours is a lifetime for them. If they're They'll forget. They'll definitely forget. Yeah. If they're still looking for 72 hours after 72 hours, you know what? I might even buy it for them. <laughs> they, they they deserve it at that stage and the thing about it is is that you're right we are being fired stuff at us at the moment and we're being fired different online courses let's face it if you sign up to an online course right now and you don't actually do it you've learned a valuable lesson yeah. because if you can't do an online course that takes half an hour of your day every day for a week when you're locked in your house well, then you're never going to find the time to do it. So some of those marketers would want to be careful. They want to make a lot of hay right now because if people are clever about this, they're going to realize, sure, when I had all the time in the world and I didn't have a commute to do, I'm not saying people are, have, have nothing to do. I'm saying most people have two hours of their day back at the moment because they're not commuting. Yeah. Like most people have the ability to do, now most, lots of people have kids running around them too and it makes it very difficult. But if you're not paying for the online course now, if you're paying for an online course now and you're not using it, you're really going to do it in, let's call it ordinary times. That's it. Yeah. Just kind of be cautious of it. And the book, as you mentioned, it's it's called How to Be Good with Money. And I just want to ask, Owen, if you are, or say if society deems, or if your mother deems you to be historically shite with money, is there any point in getting this book or will, will it genuinely help those people? I'm not saying it's me, but those people who have um, historically been pretty bad with money. So I was doing a piece one time. It's a great question, actually, because I was doing a piece one time on radio and there was myself and Kira Kelly, who's yep. a GP. And um, I, I'm sorry now because I can't remember his name. His name is actually in the book, I think. But there was a guy who was a, a marriage therapist or a couples counsellor. And um, it, the idea was the financial planner, the GP or the broadcaster and the couples counsellor. Hmm. And we were sitting around talking and he mentioned something very interesting. What he said was that we actually marry one of our parents. And if you're lucky, you married the parent that you like. Oh, God. Right? Yeah. And, well, I sat back and I said, actually, there's research there that says the exact same thing about money. Yeah. We will become our, exactly the same as our parents or exactly opposite to our parents when it comes to money. That's what we will default into. Either we'll look at them and say they did it really well and we'll rebel and we'll do the opposite. Or we'll look at them and say they did really well or whatever, vice versa, and we'll do the same as them and we'll learn from them. And we would very quickly in private practice, I'd very quickly get to the bottom of that because it's an important thing for us to understand. Mm. The reality is that that's what you default to. But 
you can make a conscious decision. Again, it comes back to consciousness, but make a conscious decision about what way you want to be. And then you can, what you describe as upskill. And the idea behind this book is, is anybody in any walk of life, whether you're a very low earner or a very, very high earner, you should get something from this book. And what I would encourage people to do who read the book is don't think that certain sections are for you and that definitely don't think certain sections aren't for you. As you read through it, you will find that they're all intertwined. And even if you don't have any debt at all, you'll learn something from the side of things that we talk about, happy debt and crappy debt. Mm. You'll learn about things in there that apply to the rest of your finances. So it's important to read through it. The feedback I've been getting on Instagram in particular, Instagram, I don't know if you're feeling this too, but Instagram for me has exploded over the last couple of months just with this lockdown or lock-in as we're allowed to call it now. But just with this lock-in, because... I was always a Twitter man and Instagram just is where people are coming to me and asking me questions. I'm delighted for them. It's great to get it. And sorry for the people I don't, can't get back to everyone, but yeah. I, I do really appreciate it because it has us talking about money. But the, the thing about it is, is that I would say everybody who reads this book and the feedback I'm getting on Instagram, people seem to be getting what I wanted them to get out of it. And that was walking away from it saying, you know what? I have a better handle on my money. I have a better understanding of how my money should work. And all I want people to do is take one or two little things at a time and apply them. And what what people should know about the book is it should never feel like a like a junior cert business studies book or a leaving cert uh, economics book. Yeah. What it should feel like is is a good a novel is probably a bit of a stretch, but there's a lot of personal stories in there. It's intertwined to give the lesson in a different way so that you understand it better. And that's the feedback. That's the way I hope to write it. And that's the feedback I got um, from people who have read it. And it's not a long read. You'll get through it reasonably quickly. And it is something that um, I do think particularly at this time, it's like, it's no different. I'm sure I'm marketing something now, am I? But it's, really? no, different. it's no different than the influencers online who are trying yeah. to sell the course. This is a great time to actually take your two hours back in a commute and go and read something. And maybe not my book, but somebody's book. It's a great time to get back into reading again. I'm sold. Oh, and you had me at this is not the junior cert business book, to be honest with you. <laughs> sold. So before I let you go, tell me where I can get my hands on this. And as a virtue, you'll be telling our, our listeners as well. How can we get this book? So it's all the usual spaces. We I was on the shelves for two days, got to number two in the category. I was delighted. And then all the shelves. And they kicked everyone off. Yeah, yeah. kicked everyone out of the shops. So it's all online now. All the big companies like Easton's and Dubray are all back shipping again this week. And um, let's give a quick plug to bookstation.ie because throughout the whole thing, they were still shipping the book. Um, so they're three that I know for definite. If you're from the Limerick part of the country, I just heard you yesterday Omani's in Cork or in Limerick excuse me Omani's in Limerick um, are, are shipping as well and what I would say is is all the online you'll get on your Kindle or on your ebook either you can download it there if people are listening to this and they're saying I got it XYZ let me know on Instagram Owen McGee or Owen underscore McGee I think it might be you'll find me anyway but Owen it's McGee Owen underscore McGee come here yeah. do, you need, do you need a personal PR person because I'll, I'll get you going for it Owen underscore McGee on Instagram you have to get the handle right yeah E-O-I-M M-C-G-E-E so it's Owen underscore McGee on Instagram or you'll get me on Twitter Owen McGee all one word on Twitter either but let me know what you think of it and let me know if you found somewhere new or if you're a bookshop owner some bookshop owners actually interesting enough you know what they're doing if they're a small independent retailer um, and their shop is closed if you ring them up they'll post it out to you and I think that's a lovely place to try first because you'll keep them going and they'll get them back up and running again quicker if you can buy locally 
Absolutely. Well, Owen McGee, thank you so much for joining us. I, I have to say I've learned more in that chat than I probably have in uh, longer. Actually, I'm, you know, I'm not going to admit it. I'm just not going to admit it because I know my mother is listening and uh, she's going to have a good few things to say to me after this episode. But uh, How to Be Good With Money is the book. Owen McGee, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Okay, that was Owen McGee there uh, talking about his new book, How to Be Good with Money, but also just in general. I have to say the 72 hours thing for me, it is a revelation. Uh, I'm going to be doing it from now on. My partner is going to be absolutely thrilled. Um, so I want to introduce my next guest. Her name is Susan Hayes. She is an economist. She's also known as the Positive Economist on Twitter and on Instagram as well. We had her on the show over two years ago. Obviously, we were in a very different situation back then. So I wanted to get her on again. I always feel incredibly positive after I speak to her. So I wanted to get her insights into the situation that we're all facing now. Susan Hayes, the positive economist after over two years. I can't actually believe it. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show. How are you? I'm great, Neve, and thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me back. Indeed, it's hard to imagine that it's two years since we had that chat out in your studio and how times have changed since. I know, this is it. And look, out of everybody that I need to talk to at the moment, I definitely need to talk to a positive economist. So um, I'm sure you're absolutely up the walls. But like you said there, how times have changed. And I suppose the kind of episode that we're doing today is is all about finances and some financial anxiety that people are dealing with. But I mean, from your point of view, you know, as an economy, the new normal is the phrase of the day. The fact that most people are genuinely terrified of the economic outlook at the moment, kind of short, mid and long term. I mean, what what can you say to people? What can you tell me, Susan? Help me. Make me feel a bit better. OK, I'll do my best, Geneva. I'll do my best. Um, OK, so first of all, I would say um, there, the, the way in which to preserve the economy is to make sure that it is that it's what we would call that the productive capacity of it continues. In other words, that what we need to make sure is that when we when we spend our money, that we can have the goods and services that we need. And of course, that's not happening at the moment because of the health restrictions, which are leading to social distancing and, and so on. So that is why the government has introduced the wage subsidy scheme, and that is enabling uh, two hundred and fifty five thousand people to stay in their jobs um, where the government pays 70%. In some cases, at the at, at, in for some lower paid work, it's, it's more than that. It's 85% of their wages. But the government are predominantly paying 70% of people's wages and then an employer can top them up. The reason for that is to restore that productive capacity. Now, my dad is on this, Neve, just to, uh-huh. to give you an example of this. Um, dad is at home at the moment. And um, so his employer has has hasn't had him in for the past month. And and he but dad isn't laid off as a result of this, because as soon as now in, in his case, he drives a truck for a living and he um, delivers builders providers. So when the construction sites go back, the idea is, is then, of course, he would go back to work and then things would continue as normal. So the fact that the government are doing that is a is a really, really big help. As I mentioned, 255,000 people um, are are actually on, on that scheme. So yeah. um, the, the thing to, I suppose, give give hope to people is, you know, this phrase, we're all in this together. Well, I mean, that can be very touchy-feely. It's easy to the hashtag the trending. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that if one's business and even a, an entire sector's businesses were 
in trouble. Um, there wouldn't be the range of supports like like what has come out since. There there wouldn't be that because if one person's business, 1.9% of businesses close every year anyway, Eve, mm. and, and most of those are not because they're not making a profit. It's because it's having an effect on family time or there's a better opportunity, etc. So the fact that this is all happening to everybody together, while it comes across as it's a really, um, it's a bad thing, because the, the, there's such a huge impact of this, there is more government support for, let's say, people in employment and in business than than before. Yeah, and that is something that we do have to to take take hope from. And I suppose, like obviously, you were you were talking there about the subsidy scheme, and like you said, the figure of the amount of people who are on that it's massive mm-hmm. for for those people and. I suppose it's looking to the future and it's looking to the whole line of the fact that we are going to get through this and we are going to come out the other end of this. But what is the recovery process? Can we predict how fast businesses are going to bounce back from this? So, I mean, people who are who are taking that hit, but who are being protected, you know, with these government schemes, a lot of people are feeling like there's not going to be guarantees that the businesses are going to be there when the government take the help away. Do you know what I mean? I do. I absolutely do. 12 weeks is, is a long time and it's also a very, very short time. Um, mm. It's a long time to preserve, um, like 12 weeks, of three weeks could make all the difference in terms of, of people's jobs. If, 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 if a company knows that they're going to have enough, enough money to pay 70% of the staff's wages for a period of time, that can be enough to, to, to sustain it. But but you, your, your question is, is very, very well made. And um, and it's I'd say it's very, you know, um, it, it very much mirrors what, what people listening to us today are feeling. So I, what, I, what I would say is um, I've studied resilience, Niamh, um, financial and organisational and otherwise. And one of the key things that, that drains resilience is when expectations are above reality. And and I think we need that's the one thing I, I would say that people need to be considerate of is I don't think social distancing is going away. I think lockdown will, but I don't think social distancing will. So when people talk about when this is all over, I'm very, very hesitant um to 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 talk about, you know, when it because if I was to talk about when it's all over to you, to a, somebody who's 16 today and uh, and me, we would all have three very different answers. And they're in and my dad, let's say they they would be all they would be very very different answers. Dad would probably say when he goes back to work. The child would say, or the sixteen year old would say when they go back to school. Um, in journalism, I don't know what normal is anyway. Mm. And, and and in my own case, it might be when I can get back on a plane and I can go and I can meet a client in a different country. So we, what we are going to have to face as a country and as a people, and you'll see it yourself, and I think it'll be reflected in your show, is there will be a sense of oh they're back now before me, and why can't I? Yeah. And we are going to have to be very careful around how that happens, because there could be some friction in our society around that. There could be, you know, cultural challenges around that. But I think that the key thing that, that we can do and that I would say to everybody is if you look at who is who is finding it easier to get through this and not is anybody with a digital competence. Mm. And if 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 you're let's say that, that you're working in a in, in a restaurant, unless that, that restaurant is now taking orders for pick up and delivery and taking them online, it's probably very likely that, that it's closed. If you're if you're able to work from home, you're probably able to work from home and to continue able to work from home with, within an office environment. And that is at least preserving, again, I go back to that phrase of the, of the productive capacity. So in terms of a timescale, I would say, first of all, it's there's no one size fits all. Yeah. The second thing I would say is that if you are, 
if your if your expectations are constantly dashed by you know jolts of reality around this, it won't help you. It won't help your family. So it's it's a good idea to to be realistic about what what you think is going to happen. And the third thing is, it's so important to just be doing to, to scale up I suppose your your digital ability the like of my dad that's not going to happen like dad drives a truck he's not going to get on the internet and become an internet content marketer like that's yeah that's not going to happen in his case but a lot of your listeners Niamh are mm. they are the you know they are the people who are probably very good online I would say you know just make sure that if you can and I know I could be talking to people who are saying look this is the last thing I have time to be doing or the headspace to be doing but you know try to do a course online to upskill your ability in whatever area that you're in um if you have found yourself out of out of work uh, and if you are on that that pandemic payment uh, what i would say is i know it might come across that there isn't a lot going on uh, in terms of job hunting and so on i would say now is exactly the time to be you know googling good research or good um interview questions now is the time to make sure your linkedin profile is up to date and mm. um, to make sure that th- that your cv has got the right references just take take the time to do practical steps and then and also celebrate them celebrate the fact that that you're doing those as well they are the key things to be doing at the moment definitely i mean you know i think as a nation, it's very easy for, well, not easy for us, but I think that we've proven that, you know, everybody is doing the best they can in the current situation with what we're being told. And actually, from from my point of view, from what I'm seeing, um, there is a lot of positivity around the steps that the government, you know, are taking aside from the the odd rogue ones um, who are in the high court. But the less we say about that, the better. Um, in Ireland, obviously, we're a small country. So, you know, a, a smaller economy. If we're to look slightly outside of us. And, you know, we are incredibly globalized as well. So I'm just kind of wondering, is the fact that we're historically incredibly connected and open with other economies going to actually be a strength for us when it comes to recovery or during a global pandemic being that connected with with other economies that like, you know, are being obviously affected in different ways because it's a virus? Um, How is that going to affect the recovery process? Um, you see, this is where this is this is one of the key differentiators between this crisis and the last one was that the yeah. last time Ireland was going through a worse time. So therefore, we had we had the release valve of international economies that were doing better from the particularly from the point of view of exports. So of course, yeah. And, and so, whereas now, of course, we are now looking at like when you look at say the the the, the reports out, for example, in in the US today. Like the US have actually never ever had this amount of people unemployed and and of course to a large degree this is mandated unemployment as well this is where the government has said you need to close as a result of this so um now I, I don't think that, that that will remain of course obviously when when lockdown changes those, those figures will, will change quite a lot as well so but but to, to get back to your point I think the, the it it all depends on how long uh, on how, on how much this this sticks in, mm. and I've been talking to uh, I've been talking to people particularly in Hong Kong over the past week, and they're you know they're 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 ahead of us they're ahead of us to a large degree they've also they're ahead of us inter- economically because they are now looking at the the end of this um the end of the they will say flattening the curve and trying to restore their their economic curve again we can look towards what Spain are doing and what Italy are doing and for the first at the very, very initial stages where we are now, the things we can do from having good relationships with other economies, number one, I would say, is to learn from learn from, from what they're doing. The second thing, and this is a huge benefit of being in 2020 as opposed to any other time, is I have been, like you, know, you and I are now, Neve. I have been 
online a huge amount for the past month. Mm. Um, and we have clients in the US. Um, we have two clients in the US. We have clients in Malta. Um, I was just on to a, a client in Dubai there just before I was talking to you now. So we could actually maintain an awful lot of our delivery of what we were doing from a business continuity point of view because we have the technology to do it. So whereas before... I would have to maybe get in the plane every now and again to go and see them. And um, there's a, a huge understanding now that this this must be done online. And and there's not even understanding because they're in the same boat. Like they they literally are in the same position as me in that that they they can't do anything else either. So I think our our ability to communicate as Irish people, our business and relationship building muscle, is completely fine and and completely. Um, from, from a like from a business building relationship building point of view, we have the technology now to make sure that that that, that can continue. But one the, one figure that that you know I I think maybe I might surprise some some of your some of your people with here is tourism, yeah. Because it is one of your it is sorry it is one of our biggest labor intensive industries. It really is hospitality is something we do really really well. Um, and and I have been really thinking about this because like tourists don't come from Mars, right? So, so like there's the same amount of tourists in the world today as there was before all of this. But of course, we wouldn't have the same same amount of international tourists because they can't come in. So then I looked at, right, well, when, when you take into consideration, what do we spend abroad uh, versus what do, um, what do tourists spend in Ireland? And actually, there isn't that much difference. Uh, there, there's a difference of about 600 million. Now, that, that might seem like an awful lot, but um, but but around about, and I'm I'm being broad in my figures here, but around about 70% of, of what uh, international tourists spend uh, in Ireland, we could spend ourselves if we didn't go anywhere. Now, I don't know about you, Eve, but I can't really book a flight anytime soon. Yeah. I don't know where we're going to be going. So, when it comes to an open economy, we if if we can if we can from a tourism point of view be our own tourists this year, and that will be dependent on a couple of things. One is whether we want to, because mm. the social contract has now changed as regards social distancing. Two is whether we can afford to. Um, and three is whether we simply will have the interest to. But what I am saying is that it's like the tourism sector from an open economy point of view doesn't have to disappear because we've always been very good at welcoming international tourists. We actually almost spend as much ourselves abroad. So uh, if, if we can if we can change that around. But it's like everything. We have to think yeah. differently. We have to market differently and we have to work fast. Definitely. And Susan, just before I let you go, um, I suppose... I kind of want to ask you finally, obviously, you know, there's a huge amount of information that's being imparted now. And a lot of people are trying to wrap their heads around information that they probably had, you know, not necessarily been concerned about before the current situation that we're all in. And obviously, you know, economists and, and different people from different sectors ha have different opinions and look at things in different ways. Um, you know, I've, I've been reading a few different articles lately and they're... I, some people are calling it scaremongering. Other people are calling it the realities that we have to face. But I suppose from your point of view and, and everything that you've kind of said has been, you know, on a whole positive. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. That's literally, you know, the positive economist. That's what you call yourself. But I mean, I suppose what what advice would you give to those people who, you know, are finding it hard to switch off from the, the sheer volume of whether you want to call it the the reality of what we're facing or whether you want to call it, you know, uh, negativity, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I have to say, Niamh, I remember the, um, today is the 16th of, of April and on the, the 16th of March, I was that person. I was wedded 
to my phone looking at like looking at the COVID-19 um the the hashtag and I was like I was stuck to all sorts of portals and and uh, first thing I'll say to 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 those people is it's understandable why why you might be that way because as I say I was that way too because it's hypnotic it's it's um it's it's exciting in a bad way in that there's always new news there's new information and um there's always something there and if you have any type of worries at all you can find plenty of information to back those up and which will back up the reason why you shouldn't do anything so i can completely empathize with you um and and i distinctly remember i'll tell you how i knew i was getting getting that way was i was talking to somebody else and i said i was constantly saying to her did you see that now on twitter did you see that news did you see that whatsapp message did you and she was saying, no, I didn't. And I said it to my husband later. I said, like, she she didn't say anything. And he says, that is because you are so busy finding out all that's going wrong in the world. And this lasted all day on, on this particular case. And and I and he was right. He was absolutely right. And then he says, what's wrong with you? He says, like, he, was, he, he didn't, he wasn't saying that in a kind of a, you know, questioning way. He kind of said, like, what, what's happened to Susan that we know who looks at opportunity and who focuses on where to go and, and who gets like stuff done? So I had to go through that turnaround process and need to basically rewire my brain with me. But I'll tell you what I did was number one, I identified the difference between what was not changed and what was changed. So there was a couple of projects that we were working on that were, you know, we were continuing to deliver on that had nothing got to do with any changes in relation to the virus. There's there's a new book that I'm writing and that I just submitted the manuscript down at the end of March. Now, if I stayed in that mindset, there's no way I could have got it done. So one thing I would say is focus on what needs to be done that's independent of the news. The second thing I would say is that give yourself a time at which you can look at the news in at a certain point of the day. So rather than say, right, I look at my Twitter feed again and say, right, I look at that now at the half five news when it comes on at six o'clock news. So to actually schedule a time when you can be that person you don't want to be really, but well, that's 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 hypnotic to be. Um, the third thing I would say as well, and I know I've, I've mentioned this earlier, but it's important to point out again, is celebrate the successes. The positivity can only come from actually giving yourself something to look forward to and then celebrating that it happened. And I had to do that on a really, really micro basis, Neve. I had to really, you know, I was even more so celebrating the fact that we had got X done or Y done or, or whatever. That's really, really important. The fourth thing is to be kind. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to each other. Is Acknowledge that it is it is a tough situation. Um, I, I would definitely say that that's, that's important. Now, make sure that kindness is healthy because... You know, sometimes we can get into habits that we kind of don't want to. And I, I don't want to elaborate on those because, I, I, you know, people know what I'm talking about. But like just being kind to yourself also doesn't mean being unhealthy to yourself because that's a form of other lack of kindness. And the last thing that I would say is that you need in some ways to shorten your outlook to the next day and the next week. It can be so hard to think. God, what will this be like now if it's still like this in insert month or insert year, insert anything, is instead to say, okay, um, like I give you an example, right? Rather than talking in theory, when when uh, the teacher came out last week and said, we're going to have a lockdown now for three weeks uh, further, uh, I said to myself, okay, what what goal will I give myself to achieve in in three weeks time? So to almost see it as, as, a, as a discrete period of time where I could see it as, while I'm in lockdown, that I could achieve X amount, and um, and I'm I'm not talking about this just in the context of COVID nineteen. Uh, I broke my foot in December twenty eighteen, Neve, and I was actually on crutches in a boot because I it it just didn't it did it wasn't so so straightforward. But I was on crutches and a boot um, intermittently between both of them for for a full year. So I almost had my own lockdown. I had a, I had a pre run to this. 
And I remember like, you know, that when the doctor said to me, right, you're not going to be able to fly. You're not, I didn't drive for five months. Um, he said, you're not going to be able to like, uh, there was a whole load of things that I, that I couldn't do for a very long time. And what I had to do was do what I'm telling you is that I had to say, okay, but imagine if I had created, if I was given the opportunity for a three month internship in my own business where, um, where I can't fly, I can't do this. I can't go to meetings. There's, I, I, I can't do so many things. What, what would, how can I treat this as, as a, a three month block period of time in my life that is unique, that I can achieve something that I wouldn't in, in, in another time frame, And that preserved my mental health, I have to tell you, uh, at that stage. So I suppose I've had a dry run at this. Um, so they're the five things that I would say. And I really hope, you know, that someone listening to me doesn't just think, well, I'm, you know, I'm constantly positive all the time. So therefore it's all right for me. It's, it's a work in progress. And yeah. It's a work in progress for anyone. But, um, and, I, and I fall, you know, I fall into the same traps as, as, as anybody else. I'm very grateful that I have people to catch me when I do. And that I suppose that I have the advice uh, to give myself that I need to listen to from time to time as well. But look, there's an awful lot of people suffering um, economically, socially, you know, environmentally, psychologically, etc. And of course, yes, there's a lot of people who are seeing a lot of good in this. And that's why I think, Neve, you know, shows like yours are more important now than ever. So, you know, thank you for, for, for being that voice to people when they may not necessarily have other people to talk to throughout the day. Oh, Susan, thank you so much. And listen, as as always, we can't let it go for another two years. We're going to have to get you into the studio when all of this is over, but I'm going to leave all the details for how people can follow you on Twitter and Instagram and get in touch with you, Susan Hayes. Um, so if you do want to check that out, go and look below. As always, just I feel so much better after talking to you. So thank you so much, Susan. Appreciate it. Thanks, Neve. And thanks so much for having me on. And a really heartfelt best wishes to everyone of your listeners. There you have it, Owen McGee and Susan Hayes. Thank you so much for joining us on Girls With Goals. I hope that this episode helped you a little bit. I hoped it uh, eased any concerns or fears that you guys have. But I suppose just to mirror what Owen and Susan said as well, look, we're all in similar situations and we're going to get through this. So thank you so much for listening and we'll chat to you next week. <laughs>